Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Wrestling Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. I see a lot of parents in here. Have you guys ever thought about this culture and families? Like, this dramatic change. The family structures that we grew up with when we were little to recognizing what our kids are going through and just how we live, how we see family structures, isn't it different? Like, does it scare you sometimes? It, it does me because, granted, four decades ago, as I grew up and what I thought was family to what is going on now is completely being redefined. Well, I was curious about this evolution of family, so I started looking into it. And prior to the fifth century, family structures were more community-based. It's like you live close to your relatives. You, you live within the means. So when you say family, this is like your whole village was your family. It was a very patriarchal system, was where your father or your grandfather was a leader. Set the culture, set the tradition of what you know as the norm. That was your standard. But then we see that from 5th century to 5th century, 15th century in Middle Ages in Europe, slight change. Feudal system, landlords, they used marriages as sort of like your mergers and acquisitions. They married off their daughter to really blend in estates, which is very interesting. Then during the Enlightenment period, from 15th century to 18th century, another shift, if you understand about the Enlightenment period, it's sort of this ideological about uh, self-awareness, independence, right? It's a very really philosophical, cultural shift that took place, but then that in, like, merged into families, where they looked at their value of their own families uh, more, I think one of the big difference there was that because of the social issues, they, they looked into their nuclear family more than the beyond. The independent viewpoints, uh, self-awareness. And then you had the Industrial Revolution in the 19th century. Because of the, the factories and people working, the women were now able to work. It, it, their roles went beyond the communities of just of their household, but went beyond. Right? So the Industrial Revolution allowed women to work, go beyond the household chores, but then that also shifted into the 20th century. You understand? Uh, so social issues, uh, women's movement, um, the adaptation of the different roles of women, but at the same time, I'm not saying anything as a negative here. I'm just saying the awareness of family structures and what happened, in, because of the, like the wars, economic shift, and social movements, the concept of the nuclear family also got redefined. Single, single parents. Um, with immigration, you had the blending of the cultures of how people saw families. Then we get to 21st century today. And it gets dramatic. We see a lot more, especially in the past 50 years, a lot more single-parent families. 
the view of their families has shifted. Uh, the same-sex marriage and LGBTQ families, they receive legal acceptance and recognitions around the world. And then we have the technology. The technology, I mean, you see your kids, how you communicate with your kids, how we relate with one another completely has changed. So if there was ever a time when the church needed to know what a family is, it is today. If there was ever a time that we need to take a pause and reflect, what is God's family supposed to look like? It is today. Because we have seen the evolution of families and this family structures, and people have defined it and redefined it and redefined it and say, hey, that's your family, this is my family. But what is God's family? Pastor Joel Morales said this, none of us have seen it modeled perfectly, but there is a perfect model. Talking about families. As we were talking about this uh, family first series that we are entering into the, for the next four weeks, talking about biblical model of family, we say we have never seen that model perfectly because everybody comes from somewhat broken, what's the word? dysfunctional, right? I don't know anybody of you guys who grew up in a perfect family, but I'm just saying I did not grow up one. I've never seen that model perfectly, but there is a perfect model. And that is in Christ Jesus. That is through God. So we're going to, for the next four weeks, we're going to look at family first. It starts from Genesis 1.27. It starts with a model of God who placed the value of family and how he began, and we're going to look to, and come back to the fundamental basis of God's model and looking at what we need to shift to come back to his ways. Amen? All right. So this is our main text, Genesis 1:27 through 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over, over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So our model for family is that God made man, made woman in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them, right? And this is the genesis. This is the beginning. This is how everything happened. Where God established family. God established family. First husband, first wife, in the likeness of our God. So God is the model. Now, I keep on saying model. And I can't imagine God walking down the catwalk like this. But he is the one we look up to as a standard for which we model our life. And I'm simplifying this concept from the Genesis account, which is the creation account, right? But I want you to know that this creation account was about the family. And let me explain. Genesis chapter 5 is where we get the genealogy. The, you guys are read through the Old Testament Bible. Someone begot, 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 begot. And he's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me some plot here. Give me some action. You know, begot, 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 he lived 130 years. Begot, 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 he lived 500 years. That's the Genesis. And so 
Genesis chapter 5 describes all the, the lineage from Adam to Noah. Okay? But it starts like this in Genesis 5.1. This is the book of the generation of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Leave that up there because I want you to notice the language that God had Adam is the language that Adam had Seth. You understand? This is not about a separate creation account, and then there's procreation. This is the procreation language where the father had a son in his own image and his own likeness, and Adam had Seth in the likeness of God. There's an order of creation. There is an order of procreation. There is this order of the likeness and the image that is significant. It's talking about family. The whole genesis of, of the entire human race, it began with God being the source who fathered, who made his son and daughter in his own image, in his own likeness. He created them and carried on. Now, why is that significant? Because that language is so much more deeper than the looking alike. I remember, you know, it was significant with my daughter, but really more significant with my son because the genetic makeup was more closely alike. But my son, 100 day, I remember taking pictures and, you know, you dress up your baby in a white thing, baby clothes. But I, I, was, I was taking pictures. I was like, oh, my gosh, he has my face. <laughs> because I remember my 100 day picture, and I'm going, he looks just like me. It was uncanny. There was no denial. There was no mailman. This was mine. Like, <laughs> sorry, that was a bad joke. <laughs> I'm saying, he looked just like me. But God had a very particular purpose in mind in his design. He made them male and female. There was a reason behind that, guys. Simple biological reason. There are things that guys can do that women can't do. There are things that women can do that guys can't do. Guys will never acknowledge that, but there are things that they can't do. Having a baby, name one, right? But there is a function of women, function of men. There's a call and purpose for each one. You need the two to make a family. So the world is trying to redefine families, saying, oh, I, I think differently. I identify differently. Whatever. But at the end of the day, there is a function and purpose for how we have been designed. doesn't matter what we think. Simple truth is there was the brilliant creator who had every function in mind. The moment that mankind thinks differently is when we get into trouble. Apart from God's plan and purpose, the moment we think we can 
be so creative, so different, so redefining, that's when we get into trouble. Because that's deception. You know what deception is? Anything that's apart from truth. That's deception. You can believe in a deception and think it's a truth, but that doesn't make it true. There is a standard of truth. True is true. We know that God is a source of truth. He is a truth. We know from Scripture, uh, he has said, I mean, it's written all over the Bible, Proverbs 35, every word of God is flawless. He is a shield for those who take refuge in him. John 8.31, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And Jesus alluding to the Holy Spirit, he said, the spirit of truth, alluding to the Holy Spirit in John 14.17, God is a source of truth. He is a source of the standard. And anything that deviates from that truth, that standard, is a lie. It's a deception. It's, it's what you make of it. And I was explaining with, um, during our Bible study on Thursday about the standard of truth. Uh, Secret Service, when they were created at the turn of the century, um, 19th century, they were not created to protect the president, but they were part of the Treasury Department to fight counterfeit bills. Their training was not to look at all the fake bills out there. Their training was to look at what the real true bill supposed to be. From the paper quality to the plates, every little detail they knew, they were trained, that when another counterfeit that tried to slip by, they knew the truth, and anything that deviated from that truth, they could identify was a counterfeit. Truth is truth. Fake looks like the truth. It deceives. That's the purpose of the counterfeits, is to trick you to believe it's the real thing. But you got to know the real thing. The real thing comes from God, the creator of all things. He says, I have designed it. I am the maker. I have the plates. I am that standard. And the problem with our culture is that there has been so much deception deviating from that truth that we think truth is unknowable. And that's the deception. The truth is you can know God. You can know the source of the truth. And, you, and as you know him, then he allows you to know his standard. And he has given us the Bible, the inerrant word of God, the inspired word of God that has been passed down. And, and you hear the debates, and I love this. You hear the debates of people like, you can't really know. It's been copy, copy, copy. There's flaws whenever there is a copy. I understand that. It's like a telephone game. It's been passed on verbally, verbally, verbally. And every time, there's some deviance and uh, variations of it. I understand. But did you know, we have over, I think, 10,000 copies of the uh, Bible, ancient Bible manuscripts out there. You take the copy we have today and compare it to the one, like, 2nd century B.C. for the Old Testament. That's pretty ancient, guys. And we have some in the 2nd century A.D. of the New Testament uh, the letters. We compare these things to the light writing that we have today, and this is what we call text criticism, the variances. We know the truth. You, you have a four out of five manuscripts that says, Jesus walked a mile. I'm making it up. Jesus walked a mile, and then another says, Jesus walked two. Right? That one variance, four out of the five. You can know there's credible reliability. 
of knowing what the truth is. Or knowing uh, that certain scribe from Alexandria Monastery, he was very reliable, perfect in his standard. Earlier manuscripts being more reliable. We have all these rules and guidelines to know. And it's like the ivory test, as my professor would say, 99.6% pure. You know, It's pretty accurate. And you can't say that about any other manuscripts or books because they have that variations. But Bible, you can have absolute confidence of what God has said as truth for us. You can have confidence that it's God's word for you. So God is a starting point. And God had a plan for his creation. And that plan was to bless you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Everything that God has planned out for his families was good. Until that, you know, darn fruit. That darn sin that kind of betrayed it all. But it is God's standard. The original plan was to bless and not to harm. To give him hope in the future. But... Let's come back to this. God made man and woman, first husband, first wife, in his own image, in his own likeness. I know you've heard this before, but bear with me. For the, just in case there are people who never heard this. That word for image is salam in Hebrew. That word image is like, yeah, it, it can be resemblance of what you look like. It is the image of what you see in appearance. But did you also know that word selam is also used in other parts of the Old Testament that talks about idols, statues that are cut to look like the image of, let's say, an animal. These image, graven image, idols were the ones that were the, the, the temple of Baal, the idol worshipers that they tore down. That was where that word is used, the image, the graven image. You guys understand me? So when God said he made man in his own image, he was saying, you are to represent me on the earth. When people see you, they see me. Remember the purpose of these idols or graven images in the temple worship. When worshipers would come and they see that temple of some monkey, they bow down thinking it was a god. And God's like, don't make a graven image in form of any animals or whatever, in stone, metal. That was the law. God didn't say that to like, because oh, I'm such a jealous God. God, okay, it's not even a comparison. It's not even a competition. It's not like God's like, oh, you know, don't put me up against you know, this false idols, I, I'm so insecure. No, it's not even the same arena. God is not that insecure. The reason God told his people, don't make a graven image of anything else, was because you are the image of God. You guys understand? He's like, when people see you, they should see God, the creator. You are my image bearer. You are my glory you are my son. You are my daughter. You look like me. I have given you my glory, my reflection. Just like I see my kids and they're like, oh, yeah, cut, up, cut from the same, what does that say? Cut from the, yeah, cut from the same cloth. They look like me because they're made in my image. And God said that about his first child, first son, 
first daughter, first family. That's the standard. You guys with me? There is so much more to this, but I want you to know because it's pretty good. God, and I shared this in another sermon before, but man, Simba. You guys remember Lion King? At the end of that Lion King, he sees a reflection. He's talking to his father in his spirit. And the father goes, Simba, you had forgotten me. He goes, oh, how could I forget you? He goes, you have forgotten who you are, and therefore you have forgotten me. He had forgotten his identity because he had forgotten who he looked like. That reflection that he saw on the water of himself, he was his own father. He had forgotten who he was. We are made in the image of God. You are son and daughter of the living king. The starting place of God's family is that God is our father who began his family with us. He created us in his image, in his own likeness. We are his children, and heaven is the model. Heaven is a standard. He is our father, not just in heaven, but he, it's like, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is the, the synchronization that it has always been from the very beginning, before the Lord's prayer, that God's standard was on earth for his people. I love Genesis. You know, it's just, um, especially looking at the whys of Genesis and, and the fact that when we look at Genesis as an ancient Near Eastern epic poetry, there is truth, literal uh, narrative that we see that happen, but there's also this prophetic nature of the poetry genre that gives you deeper meaning if you study it. And you've heard me say that over and over, but Genesis is one of those deep books, like you can read over and over and get more. But the why of Genesis, the why of the beginning, the why of the creation, I, I, there's so much that's not said in Genesis, but there's so much that is said in Genesis. Like one, why did God create man? We don't get the details of how God created man, but there is a why of God created man. Have you guys ever, like, had a conversation, why did God make you? Why did God make man, right, in the beginning? You guys ever, why did God create man? Why did God create us, and, right? And, and two most common answers in response to that is God created us to worship him or God created us to serve him. Those are two most common, and, and Scripture supports that. So people believe it, and I get that. I get it. But I don't think that was the primary why. Don't get me wrong. Um, if you know God, if you know what he has done, out of gratitude, it is only a natural response that we want to serve him. We want to give unto him who he has given us everything. That is the most natural response. But did God make man for us to serve him? I don't think that was a primary purpose. And here's why. God, who is so powerful that he said out of his 
just word, let there be, right? What the scientists might presume of the Big Bang Theory, I think that was his God's voice, let there be, and there was. Out of nothingness, he created molecules, there was an explosion, and things just came into order, and there was the universe. And he made everything in it in six days. Tell that to you, Hisborough County, for construction work, for whatever, right? <laughs> we wish. But God's like, let there be. And it is. Six days. Did God on the seventh day, I'm tired now. I need, to, I need to retire. Let me make man on the sixth day so he can continue my work because uh, I need a break. I need a vacation. I don't think so. Because he is all-powerful. He does not get tired. He does not need rest, even though he exemplified rest. That was really for us, but, you know, I'm going side tangent. I don't think that was a reason. Or what about for worship, right? You know, it's natural response. If you know the Lord, if you know his holiness, our natural response is to worship him, to praise him, to honor him, to bow down. If you... If he's standing in this room, oh my gosh, your natural tendency in fear is to fall on your face and worship him. Yeah, but did God create us for the sake of worship? Because if you imagine, you read book of Revelation, and there's a description of God in heaven with angels and elders bowing down, worshiping over and over and over. Angels singing in their angelic voices who sing just a little bit better than me, but in their angelic voices for all eternity, praising God. Did God say, I need one more person to tell me how great I am? That's not, I don't imagine my God being so insecure that he needs to create somebody just to tell him how great he is. So I don't think that was the main reason, even though that's a natural response for worshipers who know God to praise him and worship him. So what's the reason? Why did God make mankind? And that answer stems from the motivation of his heart. I imagine our God, who is a source of love, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We know God pre-existed in the, as an agent of creation. He is the creator. We know that the Son pre-existed creation. In John 1, you, we know that the talking about the Logos, the Word of God, who was there from the beginning, before the beginning, before the creation, was there with God and was God. You understand? You read John, Genesis 1 about the Word, and it's talking about Jesus Christ, God's own Son, who was the agent of creation, the Logos, who created, was there in the beginning before the creation. And then in Genesis 1-2, we know that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters in that, in that time of the creation. So before the creation happened, there was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they say this in Genesis 1-26, Then God said, let us. How is a singular God going to let us, plural? Who's the us before the creation? There's no one else. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The triune God. And he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. When we recognize that in Genesis 1-2, 
and all of these things, the God's heart behind it is this plan. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule. Let them have everything that we have. Let them have everything that we create and have dominion. Let, you know what that language is? It's inheritance language. It is, you know, my parents had a small dry cleaner when, we were, when I was young. I was reminded of that while I was, we were praising. And I hated that dry cleaner. Don't get me wrong. If you guys understand dry cleaning, steam is where they use to clean press everything. And during summer, we could not have air conditioning because the steam counteracted. It, was, it would just take too much utility. I hated working there because I got paid zero. <laughs> it was a family business. You, you know, child labor, come on, we're Asian. We, we get them working early on, right? Everybody works. You do for the sake of the family. And I remember being there, doing the work, because it was a family duty. And my parents were like, and because I had showed poor attitude, my parents would, would remind me, this is for you. Don't you know? This isn't for us. This is for you. This is going to be all yours. We're not doing it just because we like it so much. Family business is about the children. It's about the legacy. It's about the inheritance that they can leave behind for the kids as a gift. And so here is God who created, let there be, the, the entire universe. And he says, on the last day, on the sixth day, he, he creates man and woman in his own image. And he goes, I'm going to give it to you. I give you the authority to, as a king and queen to rule over everything that I've made and have dominion over it. Name it. Name the animals. Be fruitful and multiply. That language is the why. It is the overflow of a father who made everything and says, this is all yours as an inheritance. You guys with me? That's a family business language. If I ever saw it, you know, so, so I mean... It's probably Korean. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Another bad joke. All right. <laughs> I have heard so many times before having kids or before even being married, you would never know the, the love of God until you have your own. And it's true. What I, what I imagine about the creation account is that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were in perfect love because God is a source of love. He is love. You cannot know love apart from God. He is the origin of love. And he who had perfect love with the Father, with the Son, and the Holy Spirit says, we have too much love to give. And the natural response out of the overflow of the love he had was to have another to bless, to give everything that he has. Do you understand? That is the natural response of a husband and a wife, to be fruitful and multiply, to procreate, to, to have children, to love on them, to give on to them, to leave a legacy of the next generation. And that's what the Father did. Father God did with us. He created to bless, to give. This unconditional love. 
So when we look at the why of the Genesis, God modeled it first. He made us in his own likeness, in his own image, as our children. He planned to give unto them. God is the model of the first family, family first. But what that looks like is this. You and I, as sons and daughters of our king, we must recognize our families must model God's family. We cannot redefine our family unless we know the family that God has established. We cannot demonstrate, say, I am just like my father if we live nothing like our father. You guys understand? You can't make your own rules. You can be separate, independent, but if we are God's family, it comes back to seeing who our, our family is. That is the church of Jesus Christ. One father, one blood, join us all together in his adoptions as heirs and co-heirs with Christ. But there's also the action of how we live. You know, earlier today, I was having a lot of technical difficulties. Oh, my gosh. And, it, and we kind of did a by, bypass in order to show you the video and obviously my microphone for whatever reason. But I had some frustration. But, you know, as a family, you don't try to impress one another. Right? You come together and you... You show your real self, whether I stutter or make mistakes. If you're my family, you love me still the same. Ah, that's Eric. That's really the response of what my sisters do with me. It's like, that's Eric. And that's what we are. There is this grace when we see each other as family, as opposed to you should be a perfect pastor or you should be a perfect servant or you should be a perfect a praise leader. It's not about that. We're not here about performance. We're about being family together. Together with one another, together with God, we're family. So we, in the next four weeks, we're going to look at it together of what, this, what family first looks like. We're going to look from the scripture of what God's family value system look like and our response thereafter. And it may challenge you. Because it, God's word and desire for his family might look very different from what you've been taught in this world. But as his children, we obey him. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Blessing Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.